The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a special presentation of Restoration Radio's flagship show, True Restoration. And today we have a live show for you that was recorded yesterday evening, November the 6th, 2013, at Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Restoration Radio was presented graciously with an invitation from His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn to attend the ordination mass of Father B. Dunkumke to the priesthood, which was conducted by His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan. Following the ordination mass and celebratory dinner, Stephen had an opportunity to have a conversation with several of the priests who were assisting at the ordination to reflect upon their priestly ordination day, what their recollections of that momentous day were from a first-hand perspective of someone actually going through it. The fathers also give reflections on the stark difference that a split second makes of moving from the diaconate into the holy priesthood. We hope you enjoy this insider's perspective on seminary life, the steps in the process of becoming a priest, the ordination to the priesthood, and life as a priest as told by the fathers themselves. Welcome to a special edition of True Restoration. Um, we are privileged to be here today on Ordination Day, November the 6th, with several priests who are here to help celebrate the ordination of Father Kamke. And we wanted to take the time to talk about what Ordination Day is, what it means in the life of a priest, in the life of a cleric, and uh, we thought that we'd um, start by introducing you to our esteemed panel. So I will ask each of you fathers to say your name and where you're currently stationed. Yes, my name is uh, Father Oscar Saavedra. And at this time I am in Detroit, Christian Michigan, to be more specific, and Our Lady Gunnamari's Church. And I've been there for five years now, and I am there by myself and helping the people there with the spiritual life, offering the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass every day and two Masses on Sundays. And, uh, I'm Father Charles McGuire, stationed um, at St. Gertrude the Great in Westchester, Ohio, along with, um, of course, Bishop Dolan and Father Chicada. I'm Father Daniel Ahern in Saginaw, Michigan at St. Dominic Savio Chapel. Once I also care for Our Lady of the Snows in Northern Michigan and St. Augustine's Chapel in Virginia with the occasional mission trips to Eastern Canada. My name is Father Stephen McKenna. I'm also at St. Gertrude the Great Church in Westchester, Ohio. and. I, uh, along with uh, Bishop Dolan and Father Chicada, and uh, along with them, we all cover various uh, different missions as well, uh, extending out from Ohio. 
our listeners might feel that we're disproportionately representing a certain part of the United States. From, uh, <laughs> people wouldn't necessarily know from, from hearing that you're not all necessarily from Michigan or Ohio, um, and, and, we're not, we'll, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Father Savedra, could you, uh, could you maybe talk to us a bit about Ordination Day for you? We were talking before the show about you know, how long, you know, the ordination ceremony is, and a lot of times we're, if you're participating in the ceremony, you're, you're trying to focus on the ceremony, but I suspect, at least myself as a lay, as a layman who's observing, I'm thinking there must be a whole number of emotions that you might be experiencing, or maybe that you're suppressing, uh, or trying to control as you're going through the ceremony. Can you, can you tell us a little bit, just walk us through, if you can, as much as you can remember, your ordination day from from when you woke up to, to when you became a priest, um, try, try to let us, put us inside your head and, and tell us how that went for you. Yes. Yes, in my ordination day, uh, it was very special uh, because uh, I helped even to prepare my own ordination that day and I was very emotional because I was expecting priests visiting from Mexico and and from here in the United States to mostly that that there will be two choirs uh, to sing the, the Holy Mass. Uh, people from Florida came to Detroit. My ordination was in Detroit. And it was a great day for me expecting all these people, my family, my mother and father especially coming to my ordination day was it was a great day since the the time I woke up and I started getting Greetings from my fellow, from the priests, from our fellow seminarians, and and as the ceremony came, everything started changing in my life. Uh, I saw different things. The seminarians and priests would start treating me differently, uh, with more respect and emotion and and more devotion too. More. The spiritual life seems to be building up to what was our goal, to be a priest. And then uh, as we went through the ceremony, uh, everything started building up to what a priest was going to be, you know, with uh, the procession in, all the priests and acolytes and all these beautiful ceremonies, the music building up to the choir. And as you approach to the altar, you start feeling that you are there, the goal, you're accomplishing the goal. Especially when you give the step that the, the uh, assistant priest will ask you, like a chair, you know, and then the, the priest says, the deacon says, absent, no, I'm, I'm here. And that step that we give is, is the most important, at least for me, was when I said it, no, I'm absent, I, uh, I'm coming willingly to be ordained a priest. And yes, as you mentioned, when the litanies come, is when subjectivism or emotion or everything in your heart starts building up and getting in one place concentrated and that, that you will be offering the holy sacrifice of the mass and especially that you will be helping people because when before the ceremony you see all these people greeting you and they are expecting from you that you will offer the sacrifice of the mass for them where especially when there is a shortest of priests Oh, that's uh, that's excellent. I suppose we could start there for you, Father McGuire. Um, what were you feeling like at the Litany of the Saints? And so then you could walk us backwards. 
Well, I mean, it's it's only been about almost eight years, but the day, believe it or not, a lot of it was pretty hazy. I remember uh, uh, before the ordination, I have a kind of a funny memory. We stayed at a parishioner's home in Cincinnati, and it was just a bare bones and everything, and, and I got the place of honor, uh, the bed of honor, you might say, and that was in a, in a little walk-in closet, and all the other seminarians were <laughs> kind of gathered together, huddled up in a, in a room and on, on little air mattresses. But um, going, I'd say going to the, the ordination, for me it wasn't, uh, I don't recall much about the litany of saints as much as um, the one part that strikes me is always the uh, veni creator and the uh, anointing of the hands. That to me, it always brings a uh, bit of calm and peace. It's a very beautiful part of the Mass. Um, to think too that the you know the uh, it's at that point that the the hands of the priest are consecrated to handle the body and blood of of our Lord, and so to me that's a very important part. Um, I would say, in my opinion, more so than the litany of saints. Um, but you know, for most people, it's always a standing joke because um, you're you're up the whole night so nervous and worrying about the ordination that when you lie down for the, the litany of saints the procession <laughs> the joke is always don't fall asleep don't so <laughs> but um, no the I would say for me the 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 main emotion for that day was just absolute nervousness you know as I'm sure all the other priests here could say um, it's a very big step uh, in the life of any priest, to, to make that final step. There is no turning back, and you are a priest forever. Um, so, you know, that was, for me, the, the, the main emotion. <laughs> well, can I, can I stop there and ask, you know, as a layperson, I think, well, once you're a subdeacon, you're committed to the clerical state, so you're stuck at that point. So I feel, it, it, does that sort of emotion tie in in the other major orders when you're... Um, when you're progressing subdeacon, deacon, um, do you see them as sort of an elevated train of awareness and emotion, or are they all about the same? I, you know, I would say that the subdeacon's a big step because it means there is no turning back, but still at that time, people aren't necessarily relying on you, but once you the, the hands have been imposed for on your priestly ordination, you realize that, well, now people are going to start coming, uh, asking for advice. Um, they want to be absolved of their sins. So, to me, anyway, that's the, the biggest of all the steps. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, it does. Does anyone else want to comment on that before we move on? <clears throat> yeah, I think that... that that odd sum of of the subdiaconate is kind of like the, the the big deep breath sigh of okay there's as soon as I step forward there's that is that step into the that tunnel of there's no this, the doors closed behind you you're in the clerical state forever and uh, so there's that almost like a sigh before you do that but 
but as for anything else, it, it really is. You're still just you know, you're some, you're in major orders, but you're still just a seminary, and uh, you know, yeah. So you're progressing, but it's um, it, it's it, it's funny with the for everybody around you that you work with either with uh, you know with clergy and things like that. To them, it's it's a wonderful day that you're ordained, but you know they know you still have a long way to go. But for the lay people, as soon as they put the, the word Father in front of your name, it's like a light switch that now all of a sudden I can ask him everything, you know, and uh, as and you're expected to be ready to hit the ground running, and it's, it's kind of a, a strange experience. At least I, I found it to be that way. You know, just you know, one day, one day you you're, you're you know, a regular, you know, seminarian, and the next day, you know, you're, you're expected to do a whole lot more, so. It's funny that you mentioned the Atsum. I was in a position where I could see Father Kamuke today, and he almost jumped forward when he said <laughs> it. He said, he said Atsum, and his foot was already moving forward. So, um, Father Hearn, you're the eminence grease of our, of our panel today. Um, do you remember, you know, your Atsum? Do you remember... Um, how you felt on ordination day? Well, I guess I would distinguish in the Adsums of the subdiaconate, this is the other fathers, it was that commitment and perhaps an image, it was like an aircraft getting on the runway and they give it full throttle and at a certain point they say committed, they can't turn back, they, they must take off, they can't come back to the, that runway. So and that, yes, there's ways to go, however one is uh, underway. For the, uh, the priesthood, in my case, it was a little less hectic than Father Saavedra's in the sense that, whereas at other ordination ceremonies, I had been involved in a number of different things to prepare. At my own ordination, I more or less just went along. You just got to show up. Well... Yes, there's a little, we'll see later a little bit of what it took to show up, but uh, <laughs> to be there. And the, it was kind of humbling and, uh, that my fellow seminarians were bearing the, the brunt of the labors. In the actual ceremony, uh, the thing that struck me, among others, was that after the imposition of hands, and I guess in between that and the words of the form, or just after the words of the form, the thought came to mind that uh, with the priesthood there's a character that is permanent, that actually has something in common with heaven, the very nature of the joy and the happiness of heaven, that is, it is unlosable, inadmissible. That's on the one hand, and on the other that now there is a burden and a rightful expectation upon me that just wasn't there a few moments ago. I was preparing for it, but now it's here. And uh, I must be faithful to that. So those are some thoughts from 29 plus years ago. <laughs> you want to add on to that, Father Um Not quite from 29 years. No. <laughs> That's essentially my lifetime, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the uh, no, my ordination was was, was kind of different. That mine was more 
like other brothers that it was more hectic in, in getting everything ready. And then I remember you know, Father Maguire was, was actually the deacon at the ceremony, and he did a lot of the the um, the setup and the sacristy. And so I just I was nervous about the upcoming day, and so I was always going around, you know, trying to help out, and he just kept going. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. You need to sleep. And I, and I just, I couldn't. I couldn't until everything was was set because it was. Uh, I felt like I, you know, like I had to be part of even just that, and um, not in a obviously not in a controlling way, just as in a assisting way. You know, all these people came to to help me. And the least I could do is help is help them. But as for the actual day, like Bob McGuire, mine was very much a, a kind of a blur. I, I do remember. The, that, uh, like Father Hearn said, the, the imposition of hands and the, the words of, of ordination, and thinking, you know, like I went from a man to a priest in a matter of seconds, and uh, you know, the whole world just changed in that short period of time. And then the anointing of hands being really special, and also I, I had never seen an ordination before my own ordination, and so. I didn't realize that your entire hand, from the tip of your fingers, fingers to the heels of your of your palm, are completely anointed with oil. So it, it actually took me by surprise, but it was it was really a, you know kind of like a very a special um, thing. And then um, you know, Lydia of Saints, you're, you're thinking about um, all that's going on, and but at the same you know at the same time, it's it's. It's quiet reflection, but it, it's still just more. I, mean, I think, oh my goodness, oh my <laughs> the entire time, this feeling of, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very special. It's, it's I think it's interesting. A theme that I've seen from all of your, all of you fathers' answers has been this idea of a switch turning on, and now the faithful looking to you. And I suppose, uh, I think as a faithful watching, I just assume that. Say, of course. Well, now here's another priest who could celebrate Mass for us. Um, and think, hearing it from you all, hearing it from the other side, that there is a consciousness of that, immediate consciousness of that. Even within the ceremony, you realize, oh, wow, you know, tomorrow I'll be celebrating Mass. I'll wake up. I'll be a different, I'm, I'm already a different man as of right now. Tomorrow will be even more different. And, um, you know, in some ways, we think, I think as lay people, so I'm, I'm here representing the lay people perspective, the, the layman's perspective, uh, you know, seminary is a finishing, so you, you get, but it's actually just the beginning of your priesthood. So uh, the perspective could be, well, it it's all gets easier from here in terms of studies, but it all gets harder here in terms of living your, living your vocation. For those of you who are just joining us, um, you are listening to True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. I am Stephen Heiner, and today we are talking with several of our priests um, here at the ordination of Father Bede and Kamuke, and we're reflecting on ordinations and the priestly life. And before you get to become a priest, you have to be a deacon first. Um, Father McKenna, can you tell us a bit about your diaconal period, how long it was, and, and what you did, and and how that was a transition from the subdiaconate, getting you ready for the priesthood, and in um, your reflections during that period. 
Sure. The, like the Akhenate period um, was a relatively short period. It, would, you know, it might did not last a year. It was probably closer to half a year. Um, and it was, it's strange. Bishop Dolan, when getting ready for the diaconate, explained it, and it, it, and it's not to make light of it, but it, but it is kind of true. Subdeacon is the big step forward, and then the priesthood is the priesthood, and then diaconate just kind of happens in between. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it is really true, but um, because it, it, because it's sandwiched in between such two large steps, but with that diaconate and actually sharing in, in the actual sacrament of, of holy orders, um, it, it in of itself, I would say that the most special part about it is the work that you, you, I was able to start doing after the fact of, of the diaconate, you know, because then from there, all, you know, all the work in, towards, you know, how to prepare sermons and, and, and doing that in class, now I, I put it to practice uh, in, in preaching and all of the, 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 the study of all the sacraments now um, I was allowed to uh, you know, help distribute communion and actually being able to, to hold the body of our Lord for the first time was a very surreal and, and humbling experience I think, I think in that way because it's just you know, here I am man holding uh, the infinite God in my, in my hands and you know it, it makes you just feel so so very small but it also gives you a real taste of what you are actually striving towards and, and what you're working for my time as a deacon was shorter than initially I guess we could say planned because of the turmoil of 1983 and the postponement of the accident and uncertainty of actually what would happen next. So it stretched from about November of uh, 1983 until May of 1984. During that time, the main thing that I remember is that there were four of us, so we would rotate preparing, delivering sermons on Sunday. And if giving a sermon in itself can be uh, somewhat overwhelming task for a young man doing it in front of his fellow seminarians who will be merciless in their critique, their critique <laughs> and uh, joking afterwards. That made it a little, little more difficult. And probably the worst was when once in a while we would speak about what we were going to preach on and then the others would know. Or So that, that made for some interesting situations. And then... Uh, what it did do, though, was uh, allow us to have solemn masses on a very regular basis. Because oftentimes that's the, the shortage, is, is particularly on a Sunday, in the seminary where the priests are traveling for mission work, to have enough sacred ministers. So once you have a, a deacon, then it's really possible to have a solemn mass anytime. So we've got lots of practice. The next step, or concomitant step, was dry masses, which means uh, practice mass, in our case, learning the rubrics and actually doing it at a certain point of uh, doing that uh, every day pretty well. We 
we would rotate and go to a side chapel and go through the ceremonies of the Mass without vestments and, of course, without the matter. But uh, to do that, to learn how to offer Mass was practice, coaching, study, and realizing that, God willing, in a short time it would be for real. So th those are the main recollections from my deaconing time. I, uh, I've had an opportunity, I, I just, ent I would enter it into a church at a, a time, there were more than one occasion, which I think I was around ordinations and a deacon was practicing and, and I think either no one noticed or they didn't mind me in there because really lay people aren't supposed to be watching something like that because, you know, there might, you know, there might be clerics around with clipboards watching you, etc. cetera. Uh, but I, I just reflected as I would watch it, I thought to myself, it's so different from when you're when you're hearing mass and you're following along and all the rubrics not all the rubrics but a lot of the rubrics are laid out for you in, in so far as you see what the priest is doing but then when you're there practicing for the first time you must be you must be thinking through every single action you're doing and it, it maybe can be a bit unnerving when you're first practicing it is one takes it a step at a time uh, happily there are books which actually list step by step what you do and I believe the total number of steps is over 800. Oh, <laughs> so the book called The Ceremonies of Old Mass, and it goes through step by little step. And if I recall, it was 800 and something. <laughs> so it's a certain appreciation of just how rich the rubrics of the Mass are, and really what an accomplishment it is to offer Mass uh, from a human point of view perfectly. Which after all these years, I can say there's not a mass yet on which I don't miss something, some little thing, not obviously intentionally. And yet it's, it's, it's a humbling reminder just what a treasure we have in the, in the holy sacrifice and the guidance of the Holy Ghost to the Church to give us all of these ceremonies, all the, all, every little piece. Yeah, so Stephen, you mentioned the part about the clipboards and all of that. I remember when Father Selway took his final examination for the Mass, and uh, I acted as his acolyte there through the, for his last uh, uh, dry Mass, you might say. And I remember seeing this all happen in Warren, and I saw Father Chicada on one side of the, the altar just kind of leaning on the altar with his clipboard and Bishop Sanborn on the other. And so all the time, I was probably more nervous than Father Selwyn. But, so when my time came to do this, all I had in my mind was this dry mass of Father Selway. And when, I, when it's my turn, I'm going to have Bishop Sanborn watching, and, and I was terrified of him. So, um, you know, but it, it ended up being just Father Chicada there. Uh, so you got he off watched. Easy. I got off really <laughs> easily. So and he kind of watched me from behind. So, um, but it was good. You know, there was like just like Father Hearn said, um, those those last six months or so between diaconate and priesthood are just about every day is spent going through the mass. Um, uh, that takes up so much of the so much of your free time aside from the normal studies and. Um, you know, the work, 
uh, the chores of the seminary and everything, uh, that takes up a, a great amount of time. Um, How long was your diaconal year? It was uh, approximately six months. Okay. Um, so I remember that quite a bit, uh, as well as um, the preaching. I remember my first sermon. Uh, it was on the uh, visits to the Blessed Sacrament how important that is for the spiritual life. Um, aside from that, I don't have too many memories of it, um, aside from the, um, the extra work that we were doing. That was the year between my deacon and ordination is the same year that we moved from the seminary from Michigan down here to Brooksville. Uh, so there was a lot of going back and forth in Penske trucks and um, loading and unlo unloading semis and everything else. So that's kind of my memory of the deacon. <laughs> so keep on trucking. <laughs> yes. Uh, what uh, regard to the being a deacon? What marks me or remember? I remember the most is uh, one day I was walking in the hallway in the in the seminary in Warren, and a lady called me and asked, she came to ask me a question. I forgot about the question, but I answered her as, as the, best, the best I could. And then, and then she said, okay, thank you very much, uh, Reverend Mr. Saavedra. And then I walk away to the side, and here is Bishop Samuel coming in the hallway. And the lady goes to Bishop Samuel, and she has the same question <laughs> to Bishop Samuel. Being, be, being Bishop who he is now the rector of the seminary and all these years of studying teaching so I was sweating myself and the lady comes out the same question and then she said oh Reverend Mr. Saavedra answered to me the same stuff the same thing and Bishop Samuel said oh I'm sure he's sweating now <laughs> <laughs> and then and I just realized that when you are willingly to do what you like is just come to the seminary to be ordained a priest or just follow the studies and God's will and the superiors will tell you yes you're acceptable to the priesthood everything will come just sort of easily you are doing what you're supposed to do just go through the seminary study and do well in the exams and everything will just come normal I just the lady came to me and answered the question without much trouble and there was a quiet difficult question because it was regarding to the salvation of a soul not somebody dying I remember and then Bishop Samuel was happy because he answered the same stuff no? and then it just everything came easily after that, that uh, you go to the ordination the Holy Ghost just you give the, the gift and you when, we, when I was a seminarian I was thinking how am I going to do all of that how am I going to be telling these people all these things they will come relying on me in the, and it just comes easily because of the spiritual life you have to follow, your studies, your reading, and it's just willingly to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. With regard to the ceremonies, uh, because I have the opportunity to be an MC or just, uh, or I love the ceremonies. I always have was on the altar, being an acolyte, MC, tutor, anything. And for the time that I have, that I was a deacon, I have to study to the to review the Mass and learn all the steps. As Father says, they have more than 800 steps. And everything was just so easy to me because I was always in the altar watching the priests, what they were doing. I, it was just like 
not difficult transition for me to the priesthood. And then, and I have other chicadas uh, with the clipboard to test to see what I was doing. He gave me some corrections, three or four corrections, how to hold the chalice, walking out. But in general, everything was fine. And then uh, what uh, was at the deacon time is more interesting is when you have to go, uh, as I said, every, everything just comes easy. Bishop Simon will tell me, go do a sea call. And I'm a deacon, and I have to hold the blessed sacrament and take it to the people, open the tabernacle. And everything just because everything, everything was so smoothly. You know? I went to visit a lady uh, to give her Holy Communion. She was so happy. One thing we cannot we will not we cannot hear confessions of course, and then uh, I gave her communion and she was so happy and so grateful to me that he he helped me to build up and to give this the last step not to the priesthood and I was just happy for that. And being a deacon, what I remember the most is the. The same, no, the same, especially St. Lawrence, as he was a deacon for a pope, and, and mostly in those times, it took a long time, they mostly they were permanent deacons, they were deacons and they would die deacons because of the martyrdom or something. And then what, is, what I saw in these saints is how they just dedicated their life to help to serve the pope or the bishop or the other priests, and, and especially the poor, you know, the people. And other thing I remember is that for you need to pay the price for something, helping something big. Uh, I remember that Bishop Sandor asked me, because I was a dick and I was the major or the senior in the seminary, he told me that I had to paint the house. <laughs> well, one of the practical things, besides the, the studies, the preaching or the ceremonies, one thing I have to do is to paint the house. And it was, we were doing, my ordination was on November 30th, the Feast of St. Andrew, and we started painting the house, and the beginning of November, he told me, it has to be done before my ordination. It was like a task, you know, like a, and besides that, all the chores that we have to do to learn the Mass and to learn all the things. We painted the house in no time, and before my ordination, the house was sold. It was like, Everything just happened because of the Holy Ghost, the graces, and, and the dedication just you have to give. No? And everything comes step by step. And thanks, thanks to God, we made it to the priesthood. And then the bishop said, okay, the house is painted. Go ahead. It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, being asked questions by the laity and wondering what you might say. And I suppose I, I, hearing you reflect on that makes me think of the soul of the apostolate where the idea is this chalice that gets filled up from your spiritual life and then the chalice gets drained out from the advice. And I suppose sometimes you may have answered and then you thought, oh, I can't believe I just said that. I didn't. <laughs> the answer just comes out and you thought, oh, well, I guess that seminary training kicked in or, yeah. or there was an inspiration from, from the Holy Ghost. And um, again, going back to the layperson's perspective, well, Father just gave me a great answer. Your perspective, it could have been just something that came out at the moment. It could have been all of, you know, all of your seminary preparation distilled into an answer. If there is a uh, quotation where it's a song or something, especially in the graveyard, it comes often that 
the God says to Moses, I remember exactly, I will place the words in your mouth, you know, when, when you are questioning or ask, especially preaching, I will place the words in your mouth. And then that what actually happens with the help of the Holy Ghost. And just you're asking, you answer those questions. And, and the test was there as a deacon, Bishop Samuel said, oh, he answered. The lady said, you answer the same stuff as... Well, seminary life is full of tests, and in fact, we're sitting here recording um, tonight's show in a classroom. I don't know if it brings back good memories, bad memories. I think a lot of times uh, people will refer to the, the Trochu biography of the Curie of Ars and point out, well, you know, the Curie of Ars had problems with Latin, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, when you think about seminary life and what your reflections are, Keeping in mind that most lay people, I, I've been very privileged. I've not only had an opportunity to see uh, tradition, you know, real traditional seminary life. I've seen, let's say, conservative Novus Ordos. I've, I've had a chance to see what seminary life is should be like and what it should not be like. Uh, I've been at the Carmen Mahoney's Seminary out in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> which is just a little different from what most holy trinity. But when you think about seminary life. Um, if you're trying to explain it to an outsider, because most there's no there's no um, tours necessarily the center. Come you know come see what it, it isn't like a private boys school where um, there's a there's a routine that most people can can understand. Can you reflect on your experience of seminary uh, again? Going back to the idea of the life for a religious, the religious have their year of, or two of novitiate. And that sort of is always supposed to provide a spiritual powerhouse for the rest of their time, that they can go back my year of novitiate. And I, for secular priests, seminary is, is, that, is that time period. It is your, I could say, novitiate, at least that's by conception. It's, it's a spiritual powerhouse. You can go back to your time and your studies there. So walk us through what your seminary re- recollections are and what you think most lay people should know about what happens here. Other than a lot of tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, with regard to the seminary life, as you mentioned, uh, we are going to be a secular priest, no, uh, in part of religious, but we will be in the world. Uh, the training in the seminary is not a, as being in a monastery, it just will be all the time there, especially Benedictines. Or some, sometimes they will have to go out, but as a priest, uh, the seminary life you have. The ideal we want to have a spiritual life, you no know, spiritual training the first years because we are coming out of the world. We have to detach ourselves from the world, and then we start building with with the prayer life. First thing we need to learn is how to pray, how to pray, and how to uh, make ourselves be understood by God. What we want, what is in our hearts, you no, know, what you are coming. For this this uh, this place, and once once we are working with that, we start feeling that we are introducing ourselves into our religious life. And after that, I feel that in the seminary life, you need to learn how to deal with your neighbor, with other fellow seminarians, because it's important practice the charity as our Lord Jesus sent it two by two, you know, to preach and to do any apostolate. And, and especially charity for me was uh, uh, something to learn and, and practice 
because we are going to be out in the world uh, and practice that virtue with the people because people will come with all kinds of questions and, and emotions and we need to really be prepared for that. And being in the seminary, the studies will come easily if the prayer life is going well. Uh, well, just as the cure of ours mentioned, he was in, not able to learn Latin. And yes, Latin is difficult, all the subjects, but with a spiritual life and prayer life, everything becomes what it is. You just recognize yourself, your capacities, and you place yourself into the hands of God, especially in the superiors. I remember when I, before I even came to the seminary, I said, before I left home, I would just show up myself with uh, the director of the seminary and tell him, I'm in, I'm in your hands, no? and do whatever you need to do with me, like a sculpture, not just use the chisel and tape whatever you need to take out. <laughs> and then, and that helped me, that just, for me that was just the, the most important thing, just place myself in the hands of the superior and everything will come along. And he will say, he will know my capacities, and if he says so, yes, and next step. I remember uh, another fellow seminarian asked me, what is your goal being here? And I told him, being a seminarian. <laughs> I said, no, 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 you need to, you, kind of philosophy question, you need to think in your last goal, finish school, or something. No, I want to be a seminarian first. If I don't learn how to be a seminarian, I cannot be a priest. Now, it seems that we didn't agree with that. But, you know, one year I was a seminarian and I had to be a tonsure, and then I want to be tonsure this year, and then, and then the next, uh, next uh, minor order too. And then it just went along uh, all the seminary life. And then it comes to work, you have to do uh, uh, many chores, and those will be easily done if you have, a, I said again, a spiritual life and, and recollection. Um, I remember one thing that sometimes they were looking for me and, and they easily say, ah, he's the, the chapel praying. So there is, after dinner, just, just go to say a rosary, extra rosary. And then I remember a seminary said, you will find him in the chapel. And that was something interesting to me because the priest's life is that they have to find, people have to find us praying in the chapel. But as I said, it's a secular life uh, that we are doing. We have to be much in the world too and dealing with people in the world. And we need to learn how to be in the world without uh, getting us, ourselves attached to it. My seminary experience, um, I would say at least starting out was, was probably the hardest, hardest time of my life in the sense of... Um, I came from public school, and uh, we all know how the public school system is in America. Um, you can basically get by without doing a thing. <laughs> and um, so it was, it was such a culture shock. Um, I came from public school then into a year of homeschool, straight to Bishop Sanborn's you know, minor seminary, where there is a lot of, lot of work and... Uh, it takes a lot of diligence if you want to get through, but like Father Saavedra said, you can do it. Especially, you know, if, if you truly are called to the priesthood, God will see that you get through it, no matter what obstacles there are. But um, I was also a homebody, 
So just being, that was the first time I was ever away from home um, my whole life. So it was very, very difficult. Uh, I suffered through the, the homesickness, the studies and everything, but um, it was also the best time of my life. I would never, I wouldn't uh, take any of those years back. They, that was the best years of my life, my whole life. Um, you know, you develop it, you do develop a lot of good friendships that last for a long time. You know, Father Savage right here. Uh, he and I went through, he was in a year before I was. And um, uh, was ordained a year before me, and, and here we are, you know, joining back 10 or so years later <laughs> as priests. Did he uh, challenge you to many games of soccer before? Oh, he killed us in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't take a single day back from my seminary. Um, some of the things I remember most uh, would be the, the spiritual formation. Here, I can only speak for Bishop Sanborn's seminary. I've only seen this one, but uh, to me, it's, it has to be the best. Um, he, he runs a tight ship, but he has his goal. His goal is to form not just mediocre priests, but great priests. Because we can't, in these, this time of Vatican II, you can't have a mediocre priest. Uh, because there's so few of us in this world, we have to, we have to be as, as fervent as we can be. Uh, so that we uh, lead the people to heaven. At the same time, remembering that society is always pulling on them, you know, from every direction, more so than in any other century. It's pulling on them from every direction. And if they don't have the priest to be the salt of the earth, um, they're lost, in a sense. Um, and, and the seminary life here, as strict as it is, that is what Bishop Sanborn had in mind. From, you know, the, the early rising to the the, the silence, um, if you did it, made mistakes um, or disobeyed the rule, he would come down hard on you sometimes. But um, all of that, again, was for a good, good purpose. And um, what confirms that in my mind is how he's kind of flipped a switch. Once you are ordained a priest, he treats you as a totally different person because his job is done. His job is done now. He's, he's formed you as a priest, and now he can treat you as a priest, no longer as a seminarian that he is still forming. So for me, that confirmed it, um, that all of his strictness was not a matter of dislike for you or being just uh, an overly uh, disciplinarian-like, but was truly for the common good. He no longer calls you servants, but friends. Exactly, yes. That's a perfect, perfect analogy. Um, when, I, um, when I'm hearing Father McGuire's story, Father Hearn, I'm thinking about what are the challenges seminarians face, and I suppose one of them that comes to mind for me is when there are challenging times, the questioning of, do I have a vocation? 
is, is this, am I supposed to be here? Because there are, we all know there are people who show up to the seminary and they're gone after tonsure, they're gone before tonsure, or they're gone before major orders. And you're, you know, you're around that. Um, was that, did you, was that part of your seminary experience? Did you ever have those dark nights of the soul, if we use a hyperbolic term, where you questioned your vocation or is this something you think every seminarian always is asking himself? Well, it's hard for me to speak for others. As far as those who come and stay for a short period of time, well, in some cases it's a matter of hours and days. Uh, yeah. Hours, really. <laughs> and others, weeks and years. And yet, you know, it takes courage to come for a man who realizes this is not where I need to be, I'm meant to be. It takes courage to leave. Uh, some inspiring words for me that, that were painted in a, a church where the words of St. Paul when he was not, as we say, off his course, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do from the, the Acts of the Apostles? So that's the question to keep before one's mind. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then you take it a day at a time. And generally that means to push forward and then if it becomes obvious that I'm not supposed to be here, either I get a very clear conviction of that or my superiors say you're not supposed to be here. Which doesn't mean you're not supposed to go to heaven, but you have a different uh, vocation and task in life. Or it becomes morally impossible to continue, which is something that I had to deal with and uh, some of my conquerors back just about 30 years ago. When If that comes to pass, then God's will is clear. Otherwise, it's a matter of push ahead and uh, take it one day at a time, do our very best, and leave it to the, the good Lord. So, again, others may have had a different approach, a different experience, but that, that was what it was for me. And, uh, and it, it just led with a few uh, bumps in the road to, to ordination. Well, your seminary life was a little different from the rest of our panelists. It, yes. Uh, it, well, it was quite a bit earlier. And it was kind of a pioneer situation in that uh, it was the setting up of a, a seminary. started, we were kind of crowded under very limited circumstances. 
one of the things that did strike me that was a real joy, though, was the sense of humor. Yes, a, a schedule, a lot of work to do, studies and so on, but always in the appropriate place, an easy laugh. So, and then the, the next year, we had outgrown that facility and actually moved from Michigan to Connecticut. A place called Ridgefield. So you have your own moving story. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's uh, <clears throat> it's not Penske, it's U-Haul. <laughs> yes, organizing a move, help, helping to organize a move, coming to a, a new building. It was an existing or an older <clears throat> building. And then uh, doing a lot of renovation on that building. Uh, and that was an interesting combination of the religious part of the seminary life, the studies, uh, the uh, carpentry, electrical, plumbing, uh, financial, whatever else had to be done. We didn't have a cadre of brothers, and that's common here. We, we had lay helpers, but if it needed to be done, we had to get in there and do it and work together. So we accomplished a great deal. I, I mentioned it was a setting up. The priests who are professors uh, were in their 20s, maybe one a little over 30, all fairly young, all learning as they went, developing courses, and take, uh, fulfilling a very demanding mission schedule. So they would travel to two or three places on a Sunday most all but one would stay and look after the seminary and even he would often go out in the afternoon come back and teach classes Monday through Friday Friday afternoon off and many a day on Saturday it was called Manualia Generalia Animalia <laughs> which means get your hands dirty and keep your soul clean so uh, in the midst of that, it was really amazing what we managed to accomplish academically. We said, how can, how can we get this done? We buckle down and, and learn it. And so that was very encouraging, and it was the building of, of missions. So that was the 1970s into the late, early 1980s. So that was the, the good part. It was, I, I would say, straightforward, a lot of work the uh, challenge of overcoming our, ourselves, growing in virtue, yes, putting up with one another, uh, and, and all those things that are involved in a, a good common endeavor for the love of God. And then uh, learning and doing the various ceremonies. So, but again, that was sort of pioneer. The year ahead of me was the pioneer year. They were the first deacons, subdeacons, deacons, priests. And then my year was just one, one step down. So we weren't quite the absolute pioneers, but close to it. There were some real crosses. Uh, at least two times there was a difficulty in division. There was either within the, the faculty or from outside the faculty. One of those came in the very first year and it was sort of a surprise. The other 
which is much more painful, was at the point that I was a subdeacon and having taken that step of odd sum and going forward, as I mentioned earlier, starting down the, committed down the runway that leads to the priesthood, that's what an aircraft would be, and that was the turmoil of 1983, which actually came from Europe, it was Society of St. Pius X at that time. And uh, where our challenge before is do your studies, keep up with everything. Now it was, well, what's going to happen next? So that was very painful. In some ways it was like being, I thought like being in Vietnam, not in the sense of actual bullets flying, but that sense of who really is my friend and who is my, I hate to say enemy, but opponent. And then, but the same question came back, well, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So it meant trying to be faithful to one's duties day by day, to progress the studies as well as possible. If there came a point where there was a question of committing sin, even venial sin, then it was very clear that that was not what God wanted. And if that meant that was the end of the road or I would be stuck as a subdeacon, well, again, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I say that not just for myself, but for a number of classmates. So, uh, providentially, even though there were a few close calls, we were never put in a position of, uh, it's either sin or leave. And when I say providentially, I could recount one of those war stories. It was a stressful time, and it, it led to a, a, some kind of a stomach ailment. So this would have been sometime late winter of 1984. So I went to the doctor to get checked out. And on the way back, Connecticut is hilly with narrow roads. I had a, a car, I was driving on my own, that didn't have the best tires. I started up a hill and someone stopped in front of me. I had no choice but to stop. I couldn't get going again and uh, slid into the, the little ditch. They don't have much of a ditch there, but into the side. So it took a, a while and the Good Samaritan stopped, followed the four-wheel drive, and pulled me back on the road and I got back to the seminary. By then I had missed lunch and a class. So I went to my mailbox. We had to pigeonhole mailboxes and one of my classmates had put class notes because the professor would, I think was from canon law would distribute written notes so I could reach it and pull those out and on top is something not for canon law it's actually written in French and it's uh, in translation a declaration of fidelity to the positions of the fraternity oh, well, what's this? I thought at that moment, well, maybe this is where uh, God says I want you to be somewhere else. So, there was a, I guess that wasn't good for stress, but nevertheless, <laughs> I translated it and shared it with some fellow seminarians who were of similar mind, that we were not at all 
part of some of the turmoil that was going on and got some uh, advice on it. It was offensive but ambiguous. So we dealt with it and it looked like it was something that could be signed because of the ambiguities. There's a certain amount of judgment call there, but that was the judgment call. Nothing else was said. We didn't, so this would have been, I think, February. Sometime in early May, we go on our ordination retreat, and we travel actually back to where we started in our meet in Michigan. And along the way, we're given this envelope to take. We, we drove. And the priest who gave the retreat said, oh, sealed orders. So he opens it up, and what is it? But an English translation of this thing, and the note, you are invited to sign this. So it's, uh, rather than being ambushed, we're relatively ready for it, and did indeed sign it uh, with the understanding of taking it in the uh, more, I say, benign manner to those who had proposed it. We also signed, we took the anti-modernist oath, which is prescribed by the church, and there are a number of other declarations which a man approaching any major orders must take. Those were all prescribed by the church, and we certainly were delighted to uh, do that. So, but that, that was, I think was meant to be kind of an ambush, uh, and providentially it was provided for However, just to deal with that was very, uh, very painful. It's bad enough to have problems from the modernists, the communists, the masons, whatever, but from those who should be our uh, leaders, friends, allies, that really hurts. Uh, yeah, the seminary is supposed to be a safe place. It's yes. a place where you can go, you, you can, as uh, Father Saavedra was saying, put yourself... Uh, at the hands of your professors and the, the rector and your spiritual directors. In, in, indeed. And so the challenge was, as much as possible, to do that. It doesn't somehow exempt one from the, the rule or the obligation of advancing in the spiritual life and the studies. And yet it, it taught a, a very important lesson spiritually, and I would say also uh, pastorally, that we must humbly stand on our own two feet. That in, in the past, even within a diocese, there was a very, very strong structure. The brotherhood of the priest, the leadership of the bishop, and so on, to help one do what he should do. In our situation, that just isn't there. We do have help, but it's not so clear, not so strong. And so, we must be responsible for ourselves, again, humbly, not saying, I'm going to make it up for myself, but uh, within the mind of the Church and prudence. So it did give that lesson, and uh, also it taught us, or at least it taught me, I think others could say about the same thing, uh, a certain humility that whenever we think, well, we're going to rescue the Church, the answer is no, it's our Lord who's going to rescue the church, and it is he who saves souls through us, but not, not we who do it on our own. So that, uh, that was a, a difficult part. 
And the others that had to endure something comparable with the, with the good Lord showed the way and what could have been, no, you're to remain a subdeacon for the rest of your life. And I was resigned if that needed to be the case. He, uh, he showed the way and then in subsequent years there a lot of things became clarified so my brethren here have a, a different situation. Yes, I was going to say, Father McKenna, you hear that story, you, you, you might think you might have had it a bit easy, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... I think every seminarian will go through, through trials and difficulties, and it's, you know, oftentimes just given to, you know, sometimes I talk about our Lord, it's that he, he'll... Yeah, we always have to have confidence that he'll never give us more than we can we can handle. But at the same time, sometimes he gives us enough to make sure that we're trusting in him and not in ourselves. And uh, uh, you know, I think every seminarian has moments of that uh, of trial going through it. Uh, obviously, Father Hearn's case is uh, is one of you know uh, of uh, almost like a. Reduction out of to that point, but it's a, it's a, it's a uh, you know a good testament to you know his his a perfect testament of just you know trusting God and letting Him lead the way, and that's I think ultimately what is what you're supposed to learn first and foremost in seminary in that regard. So so it's a great great lesson uh, for that. For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Restoration Radio. Um, your host, Stephen Heiner, and I'm here with a panel of priests talking about ordination, priesthood, priestly formation, and reflecting on uh, their years of service. And the last thing I want to talk about tonight is uh, time travel, uh, if it were possible. And we could go back, you could take the priest you are now and go back to the seminary you were then and say, here are some things I didn't expect. Here, here are things that were exactly right about the priesthood. I thought it was going to be this way, and it ended up being this way. Here are things I did not expect at all, and you need to know and be ready for this. If you could go back, um, of course, we don't currently have time travel. <laughs> we may never have time travel. But if we did, um, I'll start with you, Father McKenna. What would you go back and tell yourself um, or what will you reflect? What would you reflect was so different from what the seminarian Stephen McKenna um, experienced? I think it's like almost two parts. One is, is, is the realization that you start to come to as you progress through uh, through actual seminary. You know, I remember going into seminary thinking, okay, I learned X, Y, and Z, and then you're made a priest and you go out and do priest stuff, if you will, and uh, and then I re- remember learning as going along, the more I made, made actual progress in that way was that you're, it's like almost like the more you learn, the less you realize that you know, uh, that you're, you're going down and you, all these studies that you go through are, are purely to, you know, when they get you to ordination is to say, Okay, you're ready to, to begin. You know uh, your journey. Uh, we're supposed to continue to learn and to grow 
until the day we die. And, uh, you know, especially that growth in the spiritual life. I mean, we have to uh, never be satisfied in that way. And so I think that was a big learning part of seminary was realizing that, you know, you're, you're going to continue to grow in this way. But as for actual, uh, you know, what is surprising is I think that light switch of, of being all of a sudden you are a priest and, and, and especially in today's situation in the church, what is expected of you, you know, I have an interesting story of my first full day as, as a priest, um, was I offered my first psalm I mass, and uh, I was uh, ordained in, in my home state of Massachusetts, uh, so um, I offered my, my first psalm I mass, and then I drove Bishop Nolan and, and um, Father McGuire to the airport, they were the last of the clergy that came in to, to actually depart. And then I drove myself back. Um, I had a little time at home before I had to go back to, to actual to, to, to the seminary. And um, and so I drove back and I walked into the, the church that I was there at the time. And I didn't even get to change, take my coat off. It was, I was in February, so it was winter time in, in Massachusetts. And I didn't even get to take my coat off. I walked in, and literally as I walked through the door, the phone rang, and it was one of the parishioners of the church there was in uh, dire need. Uh, it was, it was in, da- in dire danger of death and needed extreme unction uh, and last sacraments. And so I didn't take my coat off, and I just went <laughs> got back in the car. Got, yeah, I got my surplus, my soul, my ritual, and sick kit, and uh, oils, and everything, and. And off I was to give last rites to this person on my first day as a priest. And, I mean, that is, for me, the, the, that light switch of, you know, your whole life has changed. And, you know, I, I was not um, actually trained here at this, uh, Holy Trinity. I was trained under Father Kevin Ballancourt. And he used to always have a, a really nice saying, you, you make the best plans in your day. And then there's that one phone call that changes everything. <laughs> and, um, you know, I learned that very early on in, in that, that regard was that one phone call changes everything. Later on, I, I had sent a text message to, to Father McGuire telling him what happened. And he just texted back simply, welcome to the priesthood. <laughs> and I think it was that, you know, that uh, was that, that, that realization that your time is no longer your own. You're day is no longer your own you're, you're, you are, you belong to God and he's going to use you however he sees fit and whenever he sees fit and you don't have to be ready to, 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 to go and, and to, to do that and trust that he'll take care of you. The other thing I, I think that you know if you could, like you said, time travel is that just to go back to, to warn my, my previous self if you will, like um, you know, certain things, just like, you know, don't, you know, don't, you know, use your time as wisely as you can in the seminary because, you know, learn the things that you want to learn now because once you get out, you're going to have the best intentions of learning it, but you don't have necessarily the time of learning it. Or, um, or you know, things like, you know, <laughs> just, you know, almost like a, a warning of like, strap yourself in because the first time, you know, there's not as much as you study moral theology, nothing can prepare you for that first time you actually sit down in the confession and, and actually 
you know, go to absolve someone's sins. There's no, there's no like. There's, there's know, dry mass, but there's no dry confession. There's no dry confession. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, it's like, it's like no sitting behind like the, the secondary curtain and just like listening in to what's going on, you know, so it's, uh, it's, um, it's, you know, you do your best to prepare yourself, you know, for moral situations. And that was something that, you know, began for me anyways, the first year of seminary starting, I mean, along with, I mean, that was very heavily spiritual centered, but it was, you know, learning just even at that point, basic moral principles and then continuing on in more in depth all the way through the entire seminary to be able to, as close as you can, prepare someone for something like that. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of things are, are what you expect, but then at other times the, 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 the realization of the true, you know, that re- that dead to your own self and truly belonging to uh, to God, having you know no hours of operation hung upon the door, you know, it really is when it comes to souls. So. <laughs> Open twenty four seven. Right, twenty four seven. Yeah. So. Well, it, let's see. I think our question here was be what What would I do differently, or was it what What, what was it that I expected, and what did you not expect? Um, let's see. The, there were certain things that came along that I said, "Whoa, we didn't have any preparation for this. How do I deal with it?" Uh, I guess there are a list of those. A certain amount of it was, is purely practical. Parish administration. How did it get to be 9 p.m. and I haven't said my breviary yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. We, we actually dealt with that sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, well, I'm not saying that ever happens. I'm just saying, <laughs> hypothetically speaking. Well, this, actually, on occasion with... Uh, crazy schedule and travel and, and again the, the telephone call changing everything perhaps the listeners heard that hearty laugh yes it, it happens regularly okay I'm going to good I've gotten things done now I can take my time and pray in my office and peace and quiet and then the phone rings and whatever it is and well that's God calling right there we must be careful lest we let that happen when well, we could have overcome it but it does happen very regularly uh, uh, for very positively the, the spiritual foundation and the academic foundation the foundation of thinking the rational part does prepare one both for the things that are foreseen for example how to administer the sacraments and how to answer many moral questions and so on uh, to a great extent, they also prepare us for the things that were not foreseen or thought about in detail. It's simply that if you can work through things in a somewhat rational manner, with God's grace, you can figure out just about anything. There were a, a few items that were very frightening when I did have to deal with them that I guess I could go back and say, well, this should actually be on the seminary curriculum. <laughs> The one that was the, the most frightening actually was to deal with someone who was threatening suicide. Mm-hmm. And we talked about in the seminary, everything is so rational, St. Thomas Aquinas, and from premises to conclusion. 
And then how do you deal with someone who is acting not according to reason, but according to, um, I would say, uh, a little bit of irrationality and a lot of letting emotion run where it shouldn't. And that sort of thing. And that, that comes up again and again. I'm not simply talking about people who are mentally ill. They're actually kind of easy to deal with, but this sort of thing, these people who, that comes up regularly with uh, character and emotional disorders where it's not according to promise and conclusion. Definitely it's an incentive to some very fervent prayer, but also a reminder that uh, there's some other things we perhaps could learn about and talk about. So that that wasn't unexpected. Uh, I did expect a fairly uh, say, busy time, uh, having seen what my professors and the older priests were doing, so I didn't expect to have a lot of free time. I think one of the lessons of the years, though, is that it can be a delusion to say I need to go to many, many places, try to fit in as many masses, and exteriorly overload oneself. There's a, a temptation to that. And that, in the long run, that's probably not as productive for souls. So that's a practical thing from experience. And then the importance of uh, taking time off. We're talking about the 24-7 and so on, and yet at a certain point, if we don't look after ourselves, we won't be looking after anyone else. And so uh, our Lord gave us the example. He took time off. But for a, a priest, especially a priest in a parish or mission situation, he has to, in one way or another, designate time when he rests and gets recreation and prepares himself to continue doing God's work. And if he doesn't do that, at some point he will destroy what he is trying to build. So that's a, a lesson. It's in the seminary. Uh, some other situations, there's designated time for recreation, whether it's football, soccer, skating, ping pong, chess, you name it. When we get to make our own schedule, we're inclined to just go, go, go. So that's definitely uh, something that, that has been learned, as I've learned, I won't say I've perfectly practiced it by any means. And uh, going forward, it's something to pay attention to. And perhaps I didn't realize just how easy it was to get into a bit of a rat race there and then what difficulties that could bring. And I'd say, for me, uh, the priesthood has been a lot of what I expected, you know. It, as much as one can say that, um, um, with the mission travel and, and all of that, um, saying Mass, hearing confessions and all of that, um, it's more or less what I expected it to be. Um, I've never had to deal with, um, like many, many priests, including many of the younger priests, uh, having to deal with, with very serious 
issues that are more out of the ordinary, more out of your ordinary, you know, sins and, and different um, happenings in the church and chapel. But um, I never had any of that. And uh, it always makes me sort of think of what uh, uh, that, of, that time in the uh, little flower's life before her communion, first communion, she said that she experienced this great desire for suffering. And um, her older sister told her the day before or so that uh, she was convinced that our Lord would always lead St. Teresa with the, on the easy path. Uh, but St. Therese found out it was uh, not to be that way. But in, in my priestly life so far, I would say that uh, our Lord has been rather gentle. <laughs> you know... Um, when I see how other you know, priests that's a have cue. had... That's a spiritual cue for, 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 for something to come down. <laughs> there could be. The next but no, but, is yours. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, when I do see how other priests have had it, and do have it, I, I see that our Lord has been uh, really good in that sense. But um, as the other two said, you know, the, the seminary just forms a, a foundation and you have to build on that. You have to take that initiative, that responsibility to continue learning, uh, to put into practice what you learned, the, the, the theory of in the seminary. Um, you know, he, Father McKenna mentioned that first confession um, uh, or this, uh, the suicide call of Father Her. Those are things that you know, you might hear about in this seminary, but as you're going through the seminary, you think, well, it's, that might happen, but you see it as a very remote thing in the very distant future. So, you, at least in my case, it was hard to visualize myself going through all of that um, because it was so distant. I was just trying to make it through the seminary and um, all of that. But then, all of a sudden, you know, the hands are imposed on ordination day and the things just hit you and you realize, um, you know, you look back and you think, boy, I wish I had uh, listened more in this class or, or uh, really taken that to heart uh, a lot more. Uh, that's, I think that's the case for all priests, though. I think we can all say that in common. Um, but so far, you know, the, the priesthood has been pretty much what I, what I expected. Last one, not least, Father. <laughs> Last one. Yes, uh, through, through the seminary life, I remember I was so happy that mostly was happiness. When trouble came, the happiness always overtook that, over every every trouble, every affliction. And the only thing I have to do always to ask myself who I am because when you are in the seminary you sometimes you are not able to accomplish something maybe you do not do well in a test and you kind of get desperate or sad because you don't do well and you just think it's not for me and but you get the opportunity to study again or learn it or whatever and then you get the chance to prove that you're able then mostly it will take and learn ourselves who, are, who we are at the seminary and that will be the virtue of humility uh, how we will practice that virtue uh, because sometimes we don't get 
to think about the virtue as myself, I didn't think about it, but in practice I felt that I just, we had a fence at the seminary mostly, a couple times from the seminary life, I just wanted to go out of my room and, and jump the fence and don't show up again the next day, but thanks to Santa Teresa's little flower, she always, uh, she is a protector of seminaries and priests, always kind of prayed to her not to help me. We had a statue in this hallway. And very often I went to the hallway and stopped in front of the Santa Teresa little flower, help me, help me not to go through this. And I also remember, and I never jumped the fence uh, because of the studies or anything. I just went through and and tried to do my best. And the, the rector or the priest there, the faculty, just said, keep going and keep going. And that was happiness and Indeed, it was happiness that the, my happiness covered all the troubles that I had, and everything was getting clear. One step, and then one obstacle, and how how I would overcome it. And I got help. Now you have a spiritual director that helped you all the, through the seminary, and, and and you have all the means to go through. If that's your vocation, you just need to will it to go through. And and yes, I would wish to be in the seminary all the time. Go back because. It's so happy when you are there, and you like it very much. And now, as a priest, I I do see what I was told. You no, know, what you learn in books, and especially Saint John Bosco. I like his life, and Saint Joseph Cafaso, and then reading their books and and. What uh, I said that Bishop Sanborn and Padre Chicada that were always there with us, uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for give us our redemption, uh, here Bishop Sanborn and Padre Chicada already paid the price so that we could be trained in, in the priesthood. They have so much experience and so much suffering and, and all these years they have. When I come here they already have more than 25 years as a priest, they really know what is the priesthood and they and they really are telling us through the seminary what is the priestly life so you can think before you get to the, that step, the subdiaconate, you know, think about it. They even made you to sign a paper, so is this you want to do and then sign it. So next time, you, next day you will say they forced me or they whatever, no? But they, they have all the means to help us to take our decision. And they told us how it's going to be the priestly life and how it would be for us and all the situations. But they didn't tell us when those problems come. And then I expect they will come, but not when. And then the only thing I have to do is to prepare myself. How I will prepare myself for those uh, troubles, uh, those afflictions, or those... Uh, things that would happen to a priest, and then just pray and get ready as they come. And one of the challenging things uh, as a priest I have, and uh, mostly suffering now with the situation of the church, is when when people knock at the door of the church. Uh, Father, I want to talk to you. You know, I have some questions about the traditional faith, the traditional mass, and here I am attending to this church and. Novo Sordo Mass, or the official church, or the diocese church, the people come and with this affliction in their heart, they cannot take the decision. And I, I do my best and pray for them to explain them about the, the situation of the church, and it just, 
uh, much suffering that it's difficult to keep the people there in the church as they come to you or they see the beautiful ceremonies that's why we like to have beautiful ceremonies beautiful altars to attract the people to what is the traditional faith what it was before uh, but when they have to take the decision yes I need to stop going to Novos or the Mass and come here only it's that uh, when it becomes difficult and challenging and then especially because holding our position you no know, traditional faith traditional mass and traditional customs and morality and, and priestly life or laity life is when people they don't want to take that step especially when they're all messed up by the novo sordo here you have people that come with already three annulments and they Father, you know, I would like to receive communion and first question, are you married? And yes, and they know and they don't know, they don't want to answer to you, but already three annulments and then, my goodness, you have to investigate who you are married to and is he married or whatever. And you feel a bit like our Lord saying, no, you're not, and the one you are living with now is not. Yes, <laughs> like the woman and the well, and then you have those people, what you do? You cannot tell them, yes, you're welcome to communion as the normal sort of priest will do. And we cannot do that. Say, so, you know, you need to first tell me, bring... I, I had one situation, I told a lady, she had three marriages, or four. Three of them were annulments, and the first one was a good marriage, but the, the husband died. And, and, I asked, and I asked her, bring me all your paperwork that you have through, you know, and bring me the prison marriage, you, the paperwork, and the diocese annulment that you have. And I studied that. And, and when I presented all the work, all the study, my, my solution to this lady, she didn't come back. And then there are many situations like that. You know, the people just don't stay because they are already messed up with the novel sort of with these annulments and, and life they are giving them to them. And, and then it's when it's the more challenging to the priesthood, but that doesn't mean that I, I'm not happy with the priesthood. But mostly, our, uh, have to, we have to pray more how to keep these people to convince them. Is but I mean, are those people? They're not any different from that young man who could have been that thirteenth or twelfth apostle. You know, he he left. He was sad because he had many yeah. possessions. Right? Yeah. Those are just possessions. Here, you know, eternity could be at stake. You know. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing because they believe what we believe. They like the ceremonies, they like what we preach, they like the position that we hold, strict, or people call it very strict or very traditional. They like those things, but when they have to give the step, as, as seminarians have to give the step to transform themselves into the priesthood, the people don't want to give the step to live that life that they have because they are happy with that. And, and then, and that is with, I can add something else, no, the challenge in the preaching, uh, what is now most in these days that, uh, especially with all the uh, technology that people have, you know, the iPhone, people are well entertained with the iPhone. So the iPad, the computer, movies, all these technologies they have, they are well entertained and then they expect when you come to church that you have to entertain them and then yes there is we have to be prepared and then we have to have prepared good sermons but still people will wait for good entertainment you know? hmm. that's and, interesting and then uh, I'll, 
And when you are not like Bishop Sanborn, like his gift that he has for preaching, that he, he just, I seen Bishop Sanborn, he says, I will prepare a sermon. One hour he has a sermon. Everyone, oh, that's a wonderful sermon, no? But, especially for me, that I am from another country, I need to learn these expressions and things to say them well, and, and to be there in the pulpit, and I still see, you know, I just have to do your best and tell them, few things about the spiritual life and sin and salvation, people would be happy with that, but uh, I see that they just want entertainment, uh, because they are so attached to this technology, you know, most of the people. There are all kinds of people in the, in the church, you know, people are willing to listen to anyone, or people that are just, they challenge you, they, I have so much troubles, but you need to change me, I need to hear something extraordinary from you, so that I can change my life to what it's supposed to be or to save my soul, but, but it's, it's where the affliction comes to the priest. No, uh, uh, when the apostles came to our Lord, no, we preach in your name, but we have converted no one. And then uh, sometimes I feel like that, but that that doesn't. It's a discouragement to me, but it's just an, a a challenging thing, an affliction, and, and sorrowful sometimes. You know, how to help those people that come and knock at the door of the parish, at the front door of the church, and how to keep them. How to help them to 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 give that step, you no know, spiritual life wise, and and uh, as you, we see our chapels and churches, many people don't don't stay don't stay because they are so attached to the world and so messed up with the normal sorrow. Uh, just to say another thing, I was in Mexico once, and and I hear my family telling me what. No sort of people, priests are saying, and, and even here, and I said, you know what, I will not talk to my family anymore, or to people, I will go straight and talk to the no sort of priest. And that's what I did, one day I woke up, and, and I was in Mexico, and then my, my father said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the church, no sort of church here. What are you going to do, just talk to the priest? My father said, I go with you. Because why are you gonna do that? Because I'm talking to you, and then you come back to me. What if no sort of the priest says, or other people, no? And then I want to talk. I went to the knock at the door to this no sort of the church, and then and here is the priest, uh, no sort of the priest. And I, said, I told him I want to talk to you about issue. You said one time that whatever faith, whatever religion we are, or whatever things we like to believe, we will be saved. Is that true? And I challenged the priest, and he got so upset when I asked him that. And he just went alone, and, and he didn't know what to answer. And then, but at the end, he came back a little bit. But I, anyway, I told him, well, I will take my collar, you know, my, why, you, why we need this church? If they could be Baptist and be saved, so let us be Baptist. Or why our Lord will trouble with so much differences? No, we need to be in the Catholic faith. And, and no, so in order to have saved our soul, and you're telling to these people that whatever faith you are, you could save your soul. So, and then I was, that's what I thought, I will not talk with people anymore, they come with me about problems, I ask them, where are you from, what church you are, no, what, no sort of church, I am from St. Malachi, and then I listen what they tell me, okay, I will go and talk to your priest, to your normal sort of priest, so that we can really talk about real stuff, you know, not just subjectivism or opinions, but what is the faith, and what is, what we have to do here, and then, but anyway, people 
don't come back anymore in any way. You know, it's just uh, it's just that's the challenges for the priesthood uh, now and for our times. And I saw what I wanted to say with regard to you know, seminary life and the priestly life. There are some beautiful reflections, Father, and I I appreciate every all the comments. I I even though I'm here and I'm listening, it will take me some time to process everything. I'll have to listen to it again. Uh, I'm sure our listeners would feel the same way. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll ask before we close our show, there may be a young man listening to this, listening to priests of varying vintage, shall we say, <laughs> and uh, wondering, especially uh, some of our listeners are Novus Ordos. Um, in fact, I, I know one of our listeners is a, in, a, in a Novus Ordo seminary. And he may have that challenge of making that decision to leave, but I suppose the bigger question is, what is necessary, what, what is one piece of advice you would give to someone who's thinking about vocation and pursuing it? Um, Father McKenna, I'll start with you. Um, I think my one advice is that there's a young man that has a feeling that maybe, possibly, he's called to a vocation, then go. Um, the world is not a place where you discern your vocation. The seminary is where you find out if you have a vocation or not. The, the, there's no, you know, the, the, there's no shame in someone realizing that it's not their vocation. You know, we're not in the warm bodies club. It's not something of, um, you know, we just need to fill up space. No, we, we want priests who are actually called by God. And if someone comes and finds that it's not uh, their, their calling in life, then, then that's actually a good thing because now they can go forth into the world with certitude that that is not their vocation to be a priest. And that's, and that's wonderful. You know, most, of, most men are not called to that, but some are. And there are so many vocations which are lost because people hesitate and wait and try to figure out in the world if they have a vocation to the priesthood. And if you go into the seminary as, I'm supposed to be a priest rather than I'm going to figure out if that's what God wants from me. So if there is a, a, a young man out there that, that is hearing this and, and thinking of possibly, you know, having a priestly vocation, go, go to the seminary and you will find for sure, you know, that the, the quiet of the seminary is where, where God will speak to you, not in the distractions and temptations of, of the world. I think that's really important. To add to what Father McKenna has said, I would certainly encourage a young man who is considering a priestly vocation, or indeed even a religious vocation, but especially priestly, to have a devotion, to foster a devotion to Saint Joseph, who uh, is a, a wonderful example and wonderful intercessor in this regard to ask for the direction and graces he needs and especially the grace of perseverance. Pray every day to the patron of the Universal Church and the foster father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I don't think I could... I, father McKenna pretty much said any everything that... Uh, I would have said, uh, aside from, remember Father Siordia, 
um, when he was working in, in the United States. Um, before I entered the seminary, he told my mother to give me a piece of advice, and that was stay close to Our Lady. That's, you know, with St. Joseph uh, and Our Lady together interceding, that's the, the, the best thing. But my advice would be more towards the parents, that um, the parents of a, a young man that is considering the priesthood, or, or of just little children who may one day want to be, that it is very important to keep them, um, you know, as far away from all the dangers of the world as you can. You must have them, you know, you can't put them in a public school and expect them to, to come out with a vocation of the priesthood. Unless it's you. <laughs> well, gee. <laughs> no, it does, it does happen from time to time, but those are rare I think rare graces, you know, it does happen more in these times, but uh, um, for the average person in a public school, you, you can pretty much, um, uh, pretty much uh, delete their names from any seminary list, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, you know, keep that, you have to keep a good family life, uh, not only just a natural life, but a good prayer life. Get the kids to mask if there's a Catholic school. You know, don't opt to homeschool. Put them in the Catholic school uh, where they have exposure to, uh, you know, the, the priests or nuns if there are any, or they have the daily mass. You know, homeschool is good, but they, have, they get all the Catholic education. They don't get the grace of the mass. And there's no greater graces, uh, greater way to you know, receive the, the grace of a vocation then through daily mass. So that would be my my advice on this one. Yes, uh, I consider that priestly life, vocation is a God's call. No, it's God's call to any one of us as he did with all the apostles that he selected and he went to select all of them in different situations. And and as we have all the experiences, all the people, all the priests here, uh, I can think now that only I can count with my hand a few priests at this point were trained as probably, I think I would say Father Selway, he, he had a, he has a good family, he was trained by Bishop Sanborn, uh, and then he got the he got the God's call. He has, he has, he had this good training. And I don't remember any other priest that that had that perfect situation. The rest of us, in my case too, it was like a God's call. Just somebody asked me, "Would you like to go to the priesthood?" He was not even a priest. He, the person that asked me, it was just a youth director in Mexico. And he and I felt so much emotion. So he probably said yes, and I was. Is that awesome? Awesome. Yes, it was. <laughs> Like 15 years old, yeah, at that time, and I said yes, and I, and he helped me to go through different steps, and for that, and then what I will recommend to a, a young man that is getting that call, that he's feeling whether it's his vocation is the first thing is to go to talk to the parish priest that he is, you no, know? if he's not close to the seminary to come and prove his vocation. At least, whatever state he is or country, just go to the closest priest you are and then 
and to stay there and help the priest and so and see what is his life, what he does and and help him and everything is possible no? and all the chores that he's doing uh, and then and he will see whether that's what he likes and and especially if he has some feeling to prayer so especially following the mass with his missile and he will start seeing whether that's his vocation that's what he likes and go to a parish and help the priest go to mass as much as possible Sunday via acolyte server and you will start finding that as I did not as many of us we start finding what is what is our feelings and by being there because you cannot be whether it's my vocation by being at home or with friends as Father McKenna said or any other place but in the church you know in helping a, a, a priest there and and as Father Maguire mentioned too is uh, if we don't have a God's call as we did uh, we didn't have a training since we were children to uh, in their religious lives but uh, like I will say people good marriages and good priests we cannot build them there if it's not in a good family uh, I, I have studied how people are having a good marriage is because they have a good father and good mother they're like a like a seminar, you know. First seminar is being a good family with father and good mother. They're giving a good example. They are doing everything according to an example of Saint Joseph or a lady or other saints. If they are not doing that, it will be difficult that this boy will say, "I, I would like to go to the seminary." Otherwise, it will be just God's call, like to Saint Paul, to anybody. You know, just out of the blue, I want to be a priest. But good marriages and good priests, we will not have them if. If we don't have a good family, if, if people in their homes that are now married and have children, if they don't start training them first, as I said, Bishop Samuel got sacrifice themselves to have a seminary, to have seminary. Here, the, the the mother and the father had to sacrifice a, a big deal, so to help these children to raise go, I mean, to raise them in the faith, and it will be easy for them to say have occasion. And they can pursue the priesthood easily as before. I remember from a book that I read, Bishop Dolan gave me uh, The Mystery of the Sacred. It was, uh, uh, I read it a little bit. It says in Mexico, they will not take to the priesthood peasants, uh, carpenters, sons of carpenters, or they will take people to the priesthood if they were lawyers or doctors, not the parents, if they were this high intellectual people, they will take their kids to the priesthood, but they will not take, if I were in that, I told Bishop Dolan once, if I were in those times, I would not be selected to be the priesthood just because of my pedigree. But now, because the necessity, well, we have the vocation, God accepts anyone to the priesthood. But before, the selection was very strict, not only how smart you were, but your pedigree. And here the pedigree will can do it through the family, you know. If the parents and mothers and fathers don't sacrifice their lives to train their children, you will not see priests. We will not see priests uh, anymore unless God has given us uh, a call like St. Paul or any of us. Just out of the blue, we feel that we're going to be priests because we were not trained to be priests. We were not trained to have a good marriage. We were not trained to the to the religious life or anything. We, I never heard in my life anything what is a priesthood? But when they told me, would you like to be a priest? And I said, yes, why not? And I try and I like it and I, and I continue. And 
And most, the most important thing I did, I went to talk to the priest. I want to be a priest and he kept me there. And then he helped me to, to experience what is the priesthood. So I pursued it. Lots of good advice tonight. Um, and thank you uh, for sacrificing your time tonight. I know we've had a, a long day here at Ordinations. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to share with our listeners your journey and your advice. For those uh, who'd like to learn more about our seminary, whether you have a young man in mind that you'd like to recommend it to, or just to learn more about the seminary so you can contribute to what goes on here, you can go to traditionalmass.org forward slash seminary, and you can see the daily schedule. Uh, You won't see all the work and chores listed in there. This is probably listed as work time. Uh, And the principles by which the seminary is governed. And uh, Bishop Sanborn's address, and you're always welcome to send donations. Uh, As we mentioned, any donation of $75 or more, you'll get Bishop Sanborn's monthly newsletter, which is well worth the price of admission. As far as our work here at Restoration Radio, you can find out more about what we do by going to truerestoration.org. You see links to different parts of our apostolate and our social media buttons below. Um, You've been listening to True Restoration, our flagship show on the Restoration Radio Network, a special edition here from Ordination Day at the seminary. Fathers, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Steve. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.